crude laboratory in the basement of his home. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today we have an absolutely tremendous episode for you. It is a conversation with Joseph Rapena, the founder and CEO of Milo, the first crypto mortgage company. Now, I know many of you out there probably laugh at crypto. Ha, ha, ha. I'm so smart. I work in the insurance industry and crypto is silly and for children and and uh, I think um, that there's some of that is probably actually true. Um, many of the cryptocurrencies, tokens, etc., uh, are for children. However, the blockchain technology and the core crypto tokens, that the core assets in crypto, um, are still being built upon, and there is major money flowing into them. Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDC, a few others. Um, and we don't specifically talk about crypto because crypto is not the point. What I wanted to get into and wanted to show you guys and talk about are some of these industries that are forming around crypto that are relevant to us, very relevant to what we do as insurance agents. And uh, this, I think you'll just find this to be an intriguing conversation, uh, very interesting conversation about something that you know we don't necessarily deal with every day, but absolutely feels like it's going to be something that five, 10 years down the road is going to be part of what we do. I mean, these are going to be conversations we're having with our clients and um, I want to get these things in front of you. That's what I find interesting and that's why I do this show and share it with you. Uh, before we get there, uh, guys, just always want to give a mention uh, to Finding Peak. It's a kind of blog uh, substack that I'm uh, created around peak performance and health, mentality, our relationships, our fitness, and how we can use that and harness that as a competitive advantage in our business. Um, and those articles come out every Friday. They're free. You can subscribe and get them by email. Uh, and then every Tuesday, I put out uh, very specific content to rogue risk and like tactical, strategic information. Oftentimes, we use video that um, things that I've learned at Rogue Risk that you can hopefully apply in your own agency. Um, so check out uh, Finding Peak. Would love to have you over there as well. Um, but as always, appreciate you being a listener to this show. Love you for being a listener to this show. Um, and uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Before we get there, quick shout out to my peeps at Tivoli. You guys, you've heard me talk about Tivoli a lot. Um, they are a foundational lead resource for us. We have an incredibly high closing rate with them. It's always north of 50%. Sometimes it, it pushes close over 60%. And uh, if you have people, if you have agents who can who can sell um you know, warm call transfer leads, then Tivoli is the spot for you. I mean, we, I just, we've been a client for almost two years buying leads from them. And all we continue to do is up our buy rate with them as we get better and better at handling them. We get better and better at writing more business. And, um, and I love working with Tivoli. I love that they're a sponsor of the show. And all you need to do is go to tivly.com. And if you haven't heard of Tivoli, they used to be commercialinsurance.net. So go to tivly.com. That's tivly.com today. All right, let's get on to Joseph Rapena and learn about crypto home mortgages. Here we go. Hey, how are you? Hey. How's it going? Good. How's it going? Very well. Very good, well. Good. Appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I uh, I decided to restart my machine just in case. So. Yeah. <laughs> so no, take a little bit of time. Sorry about yeah, that. It's all good. I, I had, um, I'm working from home today too, for a couple different reasons. And uh, for some reason, when I go to the office, I'm like, pretty pretty certain everything's gonna like fire up and work exactly the way it should and whenever i'm at home i'm like what's gonna break today like what is gonna be the yeah. thing that like doesn't work but we're 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 fine um uh it's all good so 
so I, I'm super interested in, in what you're doing and I, and I'd love to, to get right into it. Um, because, you know, so our, our industry, um, one of the things I thought was really interesting about that, the industry that, uh, the primarily the listeners to this podcast are all in the insurance industry. So, um, we, we have, you know, over the course of the next month, something close to 10,000 people will, will listen to this from all different walks and some of them write commercial, personal, you know, all, all different lines, but primarily they tend to be, um, independent, uh, agencies. So, so they own their own agency, can work with multiple different carriers. They're not locked into a state farm or whatever. I don't know how familiar you are with the uh, property casualty insurance market, but a lot of them sell homeowners insurance. And when I came across you and what you were doing, and, and I want to talk about in the broad, uh, a broad sense of everything you guys have going on in your perspective and, um, you know, uh, with all the different things that are happening in crypto, how that impacts us. But, but this idea of a, of a mortgage either backed by crypto. And I will say, I don't understand all the nuances. So I'm super excited to learn from you. But this idea that just kind of originally hooked me was, you know, uh, as you know, as we see rates going up on standard mortgages, and everyone kind of thinks about the standard way, um, you know, this seems one like like an alternative way to get a mortgage, or at least to provide collateral for a mortgage. And then two, like, where do we see this going? How does it impact? And, um, and I, and I kind of wanted to make all the people that listen to this show aware of this alternative form of, of financing for a mortgage. If, if some of their clients start to come to them and ask questions or, or whatever in terms of homeowners insurance. So for all those reasons, um, and, and all those things that were interested in what you're doing, um, maybe just start by, let's start with the origin story. Like where did Milo come from? Where do you come from? Like, uh, what's your, uh, what's your, what's your origin story? Yeah, I guess that's that's a great place to start. So, so first of all, thanks thanks for having me on the yeah. on the show and uh, giving me the opportunity to, to sort of share the story. Um, so so my background is, is not in mortgage. Um, it, it's it's primarily in financial services on the asset management and private banking side, um, working with clients um, and helping them uh, make some smart financial decisions. And a lot of my clients were were international. So I worked. I started my career at Goldman Sachs. I ran a family office. Uh, with multiple uh, international clients, and uh, most recently was at Morgan Stanley prior to starting Milo. And um, what I saw through that experience is that there's a lot of really great consumers out in the world, you know, both U.S. and international. Um, but the way that most financial products have been built, it's for mass market for for consumers that fit a really nice box. And um, depending on what type of financial product they want, um, it could be very challenging for them to qualify or not qualify for for it. Um, so I started with the company really wanting to help international clients uh, be able to get mortgages. And through this journey uh, with the company, um, have seen that these gaps are, are pretty big and the opportunities to work with customers that are less conventional is a sizable opportunity. Um, and that was sort of how we evolved from working with international clients to, to most recently you know, launching a, a crypto mortgage. Um, but it's because customers today um, and their backgrounds and, and how they make their income and, and all that, it's it's different than it was maybe 20 years ago. And companies like ours can sort of fit that um, fit that box and, and, and help them out. And is the, the issue tend to be both the international nature and the non-conventional methods of, you know, of, of creating an income? That's what I don't want to say confuses, but tends to kick people out of the standard financing system. I mean, I know, um, you know, when I first started my business, um, you know, 
in thinking through loans and stuff, the fact that you don't have a standard W-2, even just even just yeah. having a business in which you're taking, you know, either dividends or d- distributions out of versus taking, you know, a standard yeah. W-2, there's all kinds of additional hoops that you have to jump through in order to prove um, how much Absolutely. you make and, you know, whatever, yeah. even though you're-, you're, and, you're and, and you really only know that when you want to get the mortgage, right? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right? Like, like if you're self-employed, you're like, all right, I'm going to have an LLC, right? I'm going to structure my business in a certain way. Um, and- uh, the way you set up your business may not be great if you're trying to get a mortgage, right? And you're trying yes. to basically conform, right, to 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 the way that standards are. And um, so, so I'll I'll say, you know, the mortgage market here in the U.S. probably works better than anywhere in the world, right? You know, we're able to originate, you know, two trillion plus of mortgages that get delivered to Fannie and Freddie. Um, so it's hard to say that that system doesn't work. Um, yeah. It does work. It does work if you work for a company. You've got really good sort of stable income. You've got a good FICO score. Um, you know, you've got everything that you need to basically um, uh, conform for, for, for that loan. But what you describe, right, the self-employed, uh, I'm buying an investment property or I'm international. I don't have a social security number, um, but I have wealth and I've got a private banker in the US, right? All of these particular situations where I've got crypto, right? Like, you know, all these things make you fall outside of that. And um, the Fannie Freddie machine is not designed to consider those factors. Yeah. They're really concerned around how do, how do we help, you know, 95% of the people that actually fit in this really nice situation. Um, and they don't have time to figure it out. Um, now what I think is that the world is changing somewhat and there's a lot more people that are self-employed, right? Like mortgage really hasn't evolved and the qualifying hasn't evolved. If you are, uh, a gig economy worker, right? If you're self-employed, right? If you're if you're you know a social media influencer, right? Like there's so many ways where you can make income today um, that just doesn't uh, fit in an SW two, and um, I don't think that's changing anytime soon. I think what will happen though is that as more mortgages get originated um, for these differentiated consumers, maybe that um, prompts some changes at the agencies to think about maybe including alternative ways of underwriting income and other factors, um, but that's going to be an evolution, right? They're gonna have to sort of see, all right, this is actually something that we should consider. Um, and in a market that we are today where mortgage volumes are going down um, because rates are high, because there's less inventory, um, it might prompt them to have to become more creative, which is what I'm kind of hoping for. Yeah, it's almost like, um in order to do trillions in mortgage volume, origination volume or whatever, you have to put everything in a box. Like you can't do that much volume while still considering these kind of um, more bespoke solutions, which is really what it sounds like you did was you yep. started to look at these people who were struggling and come up with um, uh, a, a customized kind of uh, white white gloves type of, type of solution mm-hmm. And now yeah. uh, through, through Milo, you started to almost create a streamlined process for those individuals. So what was, you know, I, I'm interested in like um, that, like uh, light bulb moment that, in, and maybe it probably happens like all things, it doesn't happen in a moment, it happens over time, yeah. but where you yeah. started, you started to feel enough friction that you decided it was time to, to create a repeatable yeah. solution to the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it happened at Morgan Stanley, right? I was, I was at a bank. I had started my career 10 years earlier at, a, at Goldman and, you know, having to been at Morgan Stanley and sort of seeing that 
it, it was becoming much harder for an international client to do business in the U.S. And, and want to move their assets. And Morgan Stanley was one of those firms that was doing business with them, um, but they were using domestic platforms, right? A domestic mindset um, to onboard that customer, to do KYC, to do AML, anti-money laundering, right? Like all these things that you need to do you know, if you were a U.S. customer, you can open up an account in 10 minutes. If you were an international customer, it might take you two weeks, two months, or two years, right? Or never, um, because the process was was very, very manual. And we had customers asking us for mortgages. We just weren't doing it well. And then I would talk to my other peers and say, hey, like, you get the request. And they were saying, yeah, absolutely, all the time, right? You know, they want to buy a property here. They've got an account with me here. They want to spend more time in the U.S. They want to send their kids to school in the U.S. And, um, and, and we can't do this well. And it was that aha moment of saying, well, it's never going to work well because you can't underwrite an international consumer the same way that you underwrite a U.S. consumer, right? It just, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. Um, so then that was sort of that moment of saying, all right, well, <clears throat> we have to basically start and understand what is the consumer? What can they provide? And is that sufficient for you to get comfortable deciding to do a loan for that customer as opposed to saying, all right, I'm going to start on the other side and say, all right, like these are all the things that I need. Well, the reality is that this person may only be able to satisfy three out of 10, not because they don't have the other seven. It's just because this is not native to them, right? They don't, they're never going to have a social security number. Yeah. They said, okay, you've got to start on the other side. You got to say, okay, these are the 10 things that I know I can get every single time, create a unique process for them, build a risk model around it, build an underwriting model. And um, and then start in that way. And, you know, fast forward today, you know, we've done over $130 million of mortgages um, where we don't have any person that hasn't made payments, right? Performance has been spectacular from that perspective, but it's because we understood that we were going to work with customers that were different, not necessarily riskier um, in, in the conventional sense. Right? This, how many, how many countries have a, a credit score similar to the way, or, you know, maybe not calculated similar, but similar in, in methodology or philosophy to the way we do where, you know, this literally I have both my bank and my credit card tracking my credit score at all times. So I can kind of have a, a feeling of like where we are and what's nuts is like, you know, you, if, if, if you pay your bill off, I, and I'm, what I'm starting to realize, like you pay your bill off early, your credit score will jump seven points. It's like this number is so important to how yeah. you financially operate your life. You know, how do, do, do most Western countries uh, have something similar? Is this a completely yeah. foreign concept? Like, yeah. how does that? I mean, most, most developed nations have it. I, you know, I would say sort of, of the sort of major countries, I think the majority of them do have um, credit scoring systems. Um, you know, I think there's there's companies like Nova Credit that are trying to basically bring that international scoring system and convert it into something that is more um, relatable to a U.S. Uh, FICO score. What we found out, though, is that we don't just get customers from you know five countries. Right? Last year, we had clients from over 90 countries wow. apply. So then, how do you how do you standardize a process where if you have customers that don't have come from a country that don't have a FICO score or some type of credit scoring system? How, how does that turn into something where it's not necessarily a ding because they don't have it? And then you have to think about, well, like, what are the things that if I were to talk, you know, work with people from 90 countries, what are most of them going to have? And then have that be my standard process as opposed to saying, well, this is pass or fail, pass or fail. You just say, no, like, I think that they can all give me more or less these 10 things. Yeah. And then I can basically make a decision ar around that. So I think we've, we've gotten more down the path of saying, what has Fannie done with a credit box? 
but doing this for the crypto consumer, doing this for the international consumer and saying, well, these are the things that I know they can provide every time and, and I'm and I'm comfortable with that. Um that's the way that's the way we 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 thought about yeah. it. Now, with an asset like crypto, which, you know, I I don't want to go down too many like uh, third rails with crypto, but uh, but like let's say in general, a much more volatile asset than the US dollar, like just for purposes of conversation, whether because if we were talking to different individuals, they may have different points of view, but just in general, I think most people would kind of say that's true. Okay. So um what it it you know, just especially what's happened even in the last year uh, to the crypto market in general, if you, you know, when crypto sitting in the in the 40s, you know, you have a million, let's say you're sitting on a million dollars in crypto and now all of a sudden it's sitting in the low 20s. Now you have 500,000, you know, that seemingly uh, could be a major hit to your ability to pay or, you know, what you could put up yep. for collateral. Um, what yep. it seems... It seems like a, I don't want to say risky, but certainly, certainly, a, um, certainly you're taking a risk by, by, by creating a model around this. Like, I, I guess what gave you the the confidence um, to, to step into this market and start to start to allow people to, to use crypto as, as both a payment and or collateral, and maybe just explain what a crypto mortgage is in general. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so we announced and launched a crypto mortgage last year um, and it was really rooted in, in a couple of sort of very, very basic principles. Um, you know, one of those being that this is a market that people are choosing to invest in. Um, for many of them, it's becoming a significant portion of their net worth, and for others, almost all of their net worth. And they've owned this for greater than five or six years. You know, many of the clients that we've worked with, you know, bought Bitcoin at fifteen dollars, right, twenty dollars. Um, so that has been a very, very important aspect of their life of how they've created wealth, which today puts them in a position to potentially afford that home. Yep. And for many of them, they've been putting off that decision because it was really one or the other. Well, if I go to a traditional lender, they're going to ask me to sell my Bitcoin, turn it into cash, season it for two to three months, and then try to qualify for a mortgage. If you have a significant amount of Bitcoin, the reality is that you may be living off of your net worth, right? Your, your Bitcoin, right? If you've got 10 million or more of Bitcoin, right? You may not need a standard day job today, right? You, you may you may be financially wealthy and independent already. So this was really around that idea that people would want to continue to hold this Bitcoin. And we're getting into this uh, age demographic where they were going to want to buy homes. And we felt that we could come in and come up with a solution that would balance both things out. And, um, and thinking about it from a credit and underwriting perspective, we felt that the Bitcoin was not, and, and Ethereum wealth was not a detractor, but actually it was a positive aspect um, because of the element that it was liquid. Whereas when you give someone a mortgage on a home, the foreclosure process can be very expensive and cost upwards of $50,000, can take over 12 months. It's ultimately not good for anybody, but it's even worse for the consumer because they lose out their equity. Yeah, um, that they've worked really hard to build up. So we looked at it and said, well, can we combine both? Can we combine the real estate transaction and think about their asset that's liquid and combine them? And, and that's what that's what we did. So so crypto mortgage um, is really the ability for a customer to buy a home, let's say a million dollar home. Today, we're going to require them to post at least a million dollars in Bitcoin. That's going to be held at Coinbase. And 
they're not going to have to put a down payment. So we can finance 100% of the transaction. And that's significant because they're no longer having to sell for a 30% down payment, which would trigger potentially a long-term capital gains tax of 23% or more, right? Depending on the state that they're from. And at the same time, it will allow them to continue to hold their Bitcoin position, which they've held for a long time. You know, they still remain very, very bullish over the long-term viability of Bitcoin. Um, they're able to continue to hold their position and at the same time buy a house. So we're really giving them optionality to now say, I don't have to wait to buy that home. I can actually do that today because Milo is going to consider my net worth um, to be able to, to, to purchase that property. And from our perspective, we're looking at, at it and saying, well, the fact that they're posting this Bitcoin, it's really non-payment protection for us, which actually hasn't existed in mortgage and real estate, right? No one's created that concept where you could basically take two forms of collateral and reduce the risk of working with a particular borrower. Okay. So I want to, there's a couple concepts in there. I just want to clear up in my head. Um, so you, so I want to, I'm, I'm going to get a, a mortgage. It's, I'm going to get a mortgage from you. I have a million dollars and, and you know, the, the loan amount for this is going to be, um, a million bucks. I need to have a Coinbase account that has a million dollars in currently valued. It, 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 it doesn't have to be at Coinbase. You could have it in a wallet. It could be, it could gotcha. be in, in any, in any. So there's a wallet, yeah. there's an address, uh, uh, there's a wallet address <laughs> that, that has, you know, corresponding amount, uh, a one-to-one -one ratio amount of crypto, uh, Bitcoin only other coins or just Bitcoin. Bitcoin, Ethereum. Okay. And that, USDC, which is a stable coin. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Um, and then, uh, I essentially still, I essentially still own that Bitcoin. I'm making payments out of that Bitcoin to you as payments are due. And, and so you're not, so you're not making it out of, out of the Bitcoin. So the way the transaction would work is that they would come in they would apply for a loan with us. They want to buy a million dollar home. We will tell them we can finance the million dollar home. You're going to have to take the million dollars in Bitcoin that you have at any number of wallets. You're going to transfer it to Coinbase. Yeah. It's going to sit there effectively in, in escrow. Yep. They're still going to own it. And then they're going to make monthly payments like they have with any other mortgage. It's not going to come out of those proceeds, but they're just going to be making mortgage payments like any other type of loan transaction. So gotcha. think of that as just sort of like this escrow reserve. And that escrow reserve is really in Bitcoin, right? That in, makes in, 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 that Ethereum. makes so much sense. I gotcha. Okay. So yep. what, yep. so what you guys are basically saying is to us, a million dollars in Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDC is, is, a, is, is a good enough collateral, which seems to make sense to me, a good enough collateral yep. for us to trust that you're going to make payments. Cause you know, that if you don't make payments on this, that, that becomes ours and that. That 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 holding yeah that we can escrow. we can we can liquidate a proportional amount to yes make the yeah, payments, yeah. Right? yeah 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 not just ripped away from them but exactly that's really so, interesting. so we asked for a million dollars yeah so we asked for a million dollars you know because of the volatility yes right yeah. it's if it was less right then we would ask for for less yeah. um, we started off with that concept because we wanted to make sure that individuals that took out this mortgage wouldn't be in a margin call potentially, yep. right, where they would have to post more Bitcoin or reduce their loan amounts 
And after doing this now since last year, we had no margin calls, even in spite of the price of Bitcoin and everything going down. Yeah. So we feel that our models proved to be right, that that was the right level um, to start at. Um, we did come out with a USDC stablecoin at only 40% of the loan amount because it's tied one-to-one -to, -one to the dollar. Yep. So there's no volatility. Um, so that's also something that we launched because people were asking us for that as well. Can they stake the, this is like what maybe, but can they stake the USDC while it's yeah. sitting in the account? Like they can't because what we do with the digital assets, it, it literally sits in cold storage. Yeah. So we're not gotcha. turning around and rehypothecating it and lending it out. Like all of the things that you read over yeah, the last couple of Yeah, which is why everything blows up every seven to eight years. Yeah. Exactly. So, so our perspective is this customer is posting this for us. It's non-payment protection. It's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. We cannot speculate with it. We do not speculate on price right. action. It literally just sits there. And if that customer calls us up this afternoon and says, I want to pay off my mortgage, we're, you know, we're going to give them a payoff statement. And we're going to say, okay, when you pay, we're going to transfer it back. This is yours. And it's there. It's in cold storage and, and we can track all of it on chain. Okay. So I, I, I really like this concept because essentially what you're doing is saying, instead of having to go through all the hoops of FICO scores and social security numbers and, you know, all, all this, all this stuff. And anyone who's bought a house on, you know, I mean, this is months and months of yeah. data collection and back and forth. And then a meeting where you're signing yeah. 10,000 documents and all this, and you're passing checks. Yeah. And instead what you're saying is we're, you know, you hit these 10 data points that we need for whatever and post this collateral, which we're willing to accept in these three tokens. Um, that, that is enough proof for us to have to go, you know, you could have a 600 credit score in Argentina, but if you hit these 10 data points that we need and can post, say, half a million dollars in Bitcoin because you're purchasing a half a million dollar home, we're willing to accept that yep. trade-off that um, the, the, the stick of we have this Bitcoin that we can take from to make these payments for you uh, is enough that you're most likely not going to put that in jeopardy. Um, and that's what you Absolutely. found, right? Absolutely. That, that, that's, yeah, 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 and and our crypto mortgage, you know, the majority of it, I would say almost all of it, is for U.S. customers. Yeah, right. It's the it's the individual who's you know it's the first time home buyer who's never bought a property who's looking to now yeah. get his first home and 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 is looking to do this. Um, so it's it's really it's really fascinating because there was a data point that came out last year from Redfin that said one out of every eight first time home buyers um, sold some form of digital asset, and, and and that's really the theme that we're playing in with this. Um, particular loan program is that we expect people to continue to want to invest if this appreciates faster than their equity portfolio or their other forms of assets that they hold something like this is going to be necessary um, for them and someone's going to have to think outside of the box of of, of how do you qualify them and you know right now it's a one-to-one -one, but in the future it might be it might be different right we're constantly thinking about how do we yeah. uh, allow more people to qualify for this um, do they want to put a down payment? You know, what if they want to put other forms of assets? You know, does it only have to be crypto? Could it be other, other type of collateral? Um, so that that's how we're thinking about you know solving this, but understanding that if we can underwrite a consumer, and they're willing to do certain things to reduce the risk for us, then yeah, we should be able to lend to them and 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 come up with a good solution for for everybody. Um, this was the question that we would always get from consumers saying, well, I've got I've got enough money where I can buy this home without a loan yet for some reason no one can lend to me 
Yeah. I'll just go and buy that home and pay for it in cash. And then, you know, something there like, well, something's missing there, right? Like I understand why it's happening, but it doesn't mean that it's right, right? And there yes. should be a solution for it. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's, let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, requiring, recreating, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel cast certified. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's now, did you have to go and get, and again, I don't know all the licensing and stuff. Like, did you have an issue as a, as a lender getting approval from whatever financial institutions you need to, or whatever regulatory yeah. bodies, you know, I don't, obviously I don't work in the mortgage yeah. industry, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because this is obviously much different in terms of a type of collateral that yeah. you're taking versus, say, what a standard mortgage would. So Absolutely. what were some yeah. of the hoops that you had in, like, regulatory stuff that you had to go through? Yeah, I mean, one, it's, 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 it's significantly more complicated. I think what our advantage as a company was is that we started off working with international clients. So we started working out with customers that were already different than a conforming conventional customer. We've been audited from day one. You know, we're licensed on a state-by-state -state basis. We're registered with FinCEN. We're registered with, you know, different regulatory bodies. We work with bank partners. They're governed by the OCC. Therefore, you know, we do quarterly reports and, and audits. And, you know, we disclose what we're doing and what we have on our balance sheet and our financials. So we've always had a pretty high bar of um, compliance and uh, regulatory oversight to the business. What we end up having to evolve to be able to do this is you know, spending a lot of time, money, and effort, right, with legal counsel and um, trying to get comfortable with, with you know, the people that regulate us and explaining what we're doing and why it's different than a lot of the other companies of how they're really intersecting with, um, you know, digital assets. Where for us, it's really more like an escrow. And for them and those companies, it's more of, you know, how do we how do we maximize return off of customer assets and potentially you know, generate returns for themselves? So when we started to explain that to him and said, well, this is no different than what you experience when you have a stock portfolio and you're trying to margin it and you're trying to borrow some cash, right? It, it's, it's very, very synonymous to that. And I think that that's, that's given comfort to them and that we have the rails and the experience and enough oversight uh, to be able to do this. Um, now I, I think I'm, probably know the answer to this question, but I'm interested in your answer. Um, 
why Coinbase versus the other the other platforms that you could potentially use? Um, I'm assuming yeah. it's their the fact that they've been regulated day one. Um, but obviously, yeah. you know, I you got the the whole FTX thing that recently happened, and you know, all these, you know, yeah. there's just you were in a volatile yeah. time in the maturity of the of the crypto space. So yeah. um why Coinbase? So, so Bitcoin's been around for, for 14 years, um, and there's these pretty significant cycles every three or so years, you know, where you have people are very excited about it, and then you go into these markets where you, you get a lot of the, the critics saying, you know, this is going to disappear. Um, and I think, you know, in the beginning, we, we looked at a lot of different options around custody, and we looked at, uh, and we decided we weren't going to hold customers' assets directly by ourselves. We, we needed to have someone that was trusted, right? We're going to hold lots of customer assets, um, and we didn't want that level of um, responsibility on, on our side. So we looked at all the players, and it, we really boiled down to only two, and it was Coinbase and it was Gemini um, that we felt comfortable with at the time. And... We were working with Gemini, you know, they were set up as a trust structure, right? It removes a lot of the issues which you're seeing now with bankruptcy um, and uh, Coinbase had a similar structure and we were working with Gemini, but Gemini had a product called Earn, which got entangled with Genesis and some of that. Um, so we were never really a fan of that even though they were structured as an agent, you know, we decided that we were going to work exclusively with Coinbase because of the element of the quarterly reporting, the filings that they have to make with the SEC, right? You can know exactly how many loans, what do they have on their balance sheet, where the assets are, um, what's in cold storage, what's not. And we felt more comfortable with that structure where we could basically, um, customer could, could move their assets on chain. We could look at it, we could see it. It was in cold storage. It wasn't commingled with a basket of other customer funds. And that was really important for us is to basically have that level of transparency. And I think Gemini has it. Problem is that Gemini came out with a product that may have some reputational risk to them. And we have very little upside to have to defend a counterpart that is going through that. Whereas Coinbase has gone through you know, 10 plus years of now cycles and we feel they can manage their business and weather the storm uh, of what's happened last year much better than other players in the ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. Earn, earn is going to be a big hit. I mean, they just, what, took a hundred million dollar loan out uh, to try to get back, you know, to kind of get some of the assets back to the earn users and stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Earn was, was roughly a seven to $800 million exposure right, to, to Genesis and Genesis filed bankruptcy. Yeah. And, um, so, so that's going to take some time, time to play out. And that's why it's important for us that, you know, we don't operate that kind of business, right? Like we, yeah. we, we have really no upside and nothing to gain and, and only downside, right? So, so yeah. we want to make sure that we minimize the risk of who we do business with, that we're compliant. Um, because ultimately when we give someone a loan, right, this is something that is a loan to buy a home, right? It's a long-term asset. It, it's not a, it's not a two months you know, speculative asset, right? It's people yeah. are, are thinking about this in terms of like it impacts their life. So we have to take that responsibility very, very seriously. Yeah. It's, it's funny how, you know, that, so I live in New York state where we're headquartered in, in New York state and in New York, there, there were only real two options to trade crypto. There was Coinbase and there was Gemini. And 
um, at first, you know, you see people using, you know, all the, all the different platforms and they've got all these different staking options and 10 million coins and Coinbase has got, you know, what at the time when it first launched, like 25 or 30 tokens that you could, that you could buy and purchase. And it was very frustrating as someone myself, who's very interested in the space and, um, you know, sees a lot of what's possible and ups. Okay. And it was very frustrating. And then the more I started to read and learn and understand how these other platforms were making money and the fact that you would deposit these funds, but all they were really doing was kind of what happened in 2004 to what, 2007, right before the market blew up, that the financial banks were taking them, pulling, ripping them out of, you know, whatever, you know, account you thought you had, and then putting them into these, yeah. these loan programs. And, and, uh, you know, I kind of just, kind of settled in on Coinbase and said, you know, whatever, I'm just, this is what I'm going to use and play with and, and became very comfortable. And, um, it, it, to me that people have knocked Coinbase, they move too slow. They do this. And I'm like, yeah, except your money is actually there for the most part. Like there are so many people yep. looking at this thing. They've already paid multiple fines for What's interesting, seemingly innocuous things like how FTX, oh, I mean, I guess it was a Bermuda company, which is why, but like how FTX does all the things that it did and Coinbase makes seemingly small errors that have no impact on people's funds and they're being fined 50, $100 million. And like, yeah, those, you know, if you're an investor in Coinbase in terms of the, the actual stock, it probably, it takes a small hit when they have to pay those loans. The, the security and longevity of these systems is, is so crucial to the crypto space and that- while the speculation can seem fun and almost seem like a casino with some of the platforms, uh, it does not help to mature the space. And and these shakeouts to yeah. me have been, I mean, I know watching Coinbase drop into the thirties was like, made me light up because <laughs> it was like, Oh my God, yeah. FTX getting knocked yeah. has just created these amazing investment opportunities because the, the regulated companies, yeah. Um, are the ones that we need to, I mean, this is, this is how the space yeah. matures and allows us to do things like what you're talking about is to have stable right. platforms that will keep these assets around. That's why it's so important. Absolutely. And, and the consumers want this. I think there's been very, very strong sort of product market fit that consumers want to invest in digital assets. Questions, who are they going to get that from? There's always been a critique of the banks that they move slow, but because the cost of getting it wrong is very, very high in both fines and reputation and trust and everything that happens. And you're absolutely right. I think Coinbase, by the fact of going public, they decided to basically introduce an additional level of scrutiny to their business yeah. and transparency. And there's not too many companies that can do that, right? You know, the tens of millions of dollars that cost them every single quarter to be able to file and report, right? They've got bonds that they've issued. They've got their earnings that they have to report, right? There's a There's a discipline that you need to have to be able to do that. And there's a lot of people both internally and externally that are looking at your business all the time saying, should you be doing this? What are the risks? What are the potential harms? How does this affect the brand? Where, um, where I think they're, they're, they're positioned very, very differently than any other uh, crypto company out there. And, um, and I think that that makes, that makes a difference. And, you know, I wish there was more of them, right? And, you know, I think that maybe this next wave of companies, it's going to be, maybe you buy your Bitcoin no longer through a Coinbase or through other players, but you might buy it through E-Trader. You might buy it through Ameritrader. You might yeah. buy it from Fidelity, right? Some of these yeah. established platforms that have the um, history yeah. of protecting customer funds that, yeah. that, that people expect. What, what'll be interesting is, you know, not to 
get stuck on Coinbase. But like what I find interesting about Coinbase is that what will happen is what, what you just said will most likely happen, but that business will probably still be transacted through Coinbase. Like Coinbase will be the yeah. will be the pipes layer. You still need market makers. You yeah. still need yes. uh, to intersect with the credible um, yeah. companies that um, have the um, approval of real institutions, right? Yeah. To, to do business with them. You mean we shouldn't do business with a guy who is pitching VCs uh, while playing Counter Strike? That's probably not the best. The best play. Uh, I, 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 I think a lot of people have learned that lesson, unfortunately, the the hard way. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I feel like they haven't learned that lesson. I feel like the next hot thing that comes out, people will just throw money at it because that's what we seemingly do. But the good thing about that is these mistakes and blowups seemingly. Uh, serve to harden the system in general. The survivors harden and get better and create, you know, you you almost need a Sam Bankman-Fried blowing up, you know, the space for a moment to 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 yeah. create more stability in the in the survivors and uh, as much as you don't ever want to see that happen and and obviously it's the people that lost money and are still waiting to get back it's all terrible but uh but those types of things especially in a uh, you know, what is still probably, uh, I don't want to call it immature, but certainly not, not fully mature market, like, like crypto, um, uh, those, those types of moments are important. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. How- yeah. And the asset class is, is, is maturing. The consumers are maturing. And yeah. this is where, you know, I, I hope that, that, that our company, Milo, right, can, can have a positive impact where now these individuals that have amassed some of this wealth aren't always subject to this boom and bust, but that some of that wealth does help to personally diversify and buy that home, right? You've made this wealth. Don't leave all your chips on the table where you've got your net worth spiking and going up and down 70, 80% over over every three years, but that you take a little bit of that, you buy your home, you get yourself situated and fine, continue to basically play, but, you know, get yourself set up um, so you have something to, to really show for it. And then you're, you're not just, um, you know, on, on very, very happy. And then all of a sudden you're like down in the dumps because like, you know, markets are down. Right. But at least, you know, you've got a roof over your head. Yeah. The two things uh, are one of the things I find the most interesting is that while maybe the, the non-educated, the person who isn't paying attention, um, uh, non-educated to crypto, uh, the person who's paying attention, the skeptic, uh, which there are a lot of, particularly in the insurance industry. I mean, most people think because I'm still sure. interested in crypto that I'm crazy or that, you know, whatever, which is, which is fine. I, I, I don't care. Um, yeah. But what's very interesting to me is while there's all this narrative going on, and it's why I feel that this is now, now is such a, such an interesting time to either just be drip dripping in or, or maybe taking a couple small positions and, and continuing to build. And, yeah. you know, I, not that I necessarily, I'm not a financial advisor and I certainly don't recommend anyone doing anything based on my recommendations, but you know, the, the idea that, that crypto is, was this thing that happened and now it's gone is so incredibly short-sighted um, in my opinion, yeah. because because if you, if you really dig into it and you look at companies like yours, which is which is another one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is to, to kind of show everyone who listens to the show or at least listen to everyone can hear what you're saying that while while everyone's kind of talking shit, I guess you could say, you know what I mean? And it's very common to get yeah. some old school guy on CNBC blasting people who still talk about crypto or whatever. And um, yeah. behind the scenes. 
there are all these highly regulated, highly regulated infrastructure projects that are just continuing to being built, continue to be solidified. There's there's uh, these these industries developing around them, like what like what you're doing. There's traditional spaces adapting and morphing, and all this additional investment that's being made, kind of behind the scenes, specifically while the asset is is down, because it almost allows people to operate without all the scrutiny that would, if it yeah. was still cranking, you know, it even though there may be more capital available to you. Um, you also may not have been be able to build behind the scenes as well. Well, a lot maybe. of people came into the space for the wrong reasons, right? Yes. They were looking at, you know, how do we how do we make a quick buck as opposed yep. to saying, well, how does this technology really help to transform the way things have been done in so many different industries? And you know, you go back to 2015, 2016, right? Individuals were trying to come up with any type of problem and saying, all right, let's let's just let's just throw some type of coin at it. I realized that it was it was unnecessary. Yeah. Um, today, I think that there's a lot more innovation that's happening around Web three and you know what NFTs could do. The legal um, framework needs to catch up to it and sort of come up with some nice balance between both of them. But I think we're going in that direction. I don't know how long it's going to take. The regulation that's happening right now and the um, public commentary that's out there, I think it's going to help um, create a, a discussion. Some people will be happy the way it turns out and many people will be unhappy, but at least there will be some type of framework that people can, can adopt and, uh, and, and utilize, but people are building. And I think the, the way that I think about this a lot is just, it's an asset class, right? People decide to buy stocks. They decide to buy bonds. They decide to buy REITs. You know, they buy physical real estate. This is just another asset class. It's a very young asset class. If you think about stocks, you know, they've been around for over 100 years, right? You know, 130, 140 years in the, in the US, right? With, with our stock markets. They've went through a lot of really, really difficult times in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, right? The 60s, the 70s, right? The 80s, the 90s, right? They've been battle tested with markets, but nobody ever stops to ask, why is the right PE 15% for the S&P or 17% or 21% of earnings, right? Like that, that PE ratio. It's just because historically over time that became acceptable figures that people lock into. Bitcoin's only 14 years, and many of the things that we're talking about are six or seven years or less. Yeah. So things are evolving and it's maturing as an asset class, the consumers that are investing in it, and what is actually happening. So I think it's very, very um, short sighted to expect it to be as mature as the stock market when that's been around 10 times longer, right, than the digital asset ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. So how has the, like, traditional mortgage industry responded to you? Have they, are you, you know, you walk into the conference and everyone starts booing you? Has everyone come running over and ask you how you're doing? Is it, what What has been the response um, to, to what you're doing in the, in the standard yeah. market? Yeah, I, th I think there's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of questions. I think people are are interested um, because many people have gotten the request from customers that have digital assets. They don't really have a good response for it except please sell your Bitcoin and come back to me when you have. Yeah. So this is something that you know gives them some type of tool um, to be able to help that customer. And most people that are in the mortgage and real estate industry, right? They're they're customer centric, right? They're they're trying to figure out how they how they help their customers. Um, so they are they are interested. In, in how this can um, help the customers and, and, and help them as well. Um, so I think that's what's been interesting about us coming out with this product is that it's both the people that are in the crypto and digital asset ecosystem, as well as the people that are in the more traditional mortgage, financial services, real estate industry, 
and we're somewhere in the middle trying to educate both sides. And what I hope at some point is that there are more companies that come into the space so that we can all ideate and evolve faster um, because ultimately the one who's going to benefit is going to be the, the customer right? with, with, yeah. with more companies like ours. And, you know, and, and very selfishly for the, for the mortgage companies, I mean, if you, you know, have 500,000 in crypto that you would want to use uh, to purchase real estate, um, if you have to go the way that you described, like you said, you're going to either have a capital gains tax or whatever you're going to, to sell that Bitcoin to use as cash to, for, for payment, you're, you're going to take a hit. And, and all that does is reduce the purchasing power of the consumer that you'd otherwise be wanting to, to use. So if you think about, you know, a pool of investors who would use crypto, you're, you're taking, if you, if you force them to liquidate the position in order to purchase uh, the property, you're taking some significant double digit hit just in the taxes they have to pay in, 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 in originated mortgage value. Yeah. Right. I mean, just that, just, just yep. thinking about that concept right there feels like enough of incentive over time to probably push yep. people to consider what you're doing yep. and to, to start to consider. I, I, I mean, absolutely. It's I mean, I mean, here, here's a, here's a, real, here's a real world story for you. So we, we closed uh, on a $3 million crypto mortgage transaction in December. Um, that customer absent of us would have, would have liquidated their, their Bitcoin for that. The value of their Bitcoin 12 months before that was four times higher, right? So it was over $10 million. It had gone down. They wanted to buy this home and they came across us and we were able to finance the transaction. So that alleviated, you know, roughly what, 23% of capital gains on 3 million. And from December until now, that's appreciated roughly yeah. 35%. So just think about that swing of almost 60% on a $3 million transaction, which is $1.8 million in differential to that customer, right? So if you think about that, that 60% and the rate of the mortgage is almost irrelevant because yeah. of, of what they ultimately saved or, you know, didn't lose out on potential sort of recovery and appreciation. So I think that that's what's unique about this product is that it's, it's really the first mortgage product that can really, um, you know, help a customer preserve their, their net worth and, and, and possibly grow it over time. Yeah. On both sides. Not, because we're not even talking about the real estate appreciation. Yeah, yeah. We know for a fact that 90% of all millionaires in this country have made, have become millionaires because of real estate. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I, I love it. I mean, the, the concept to me is, is so intriguing and um, I feel like, you know, this, this is going to be, uh, you know, some significant portion of the market as as we continue to go here over yeah. the next few years. Yeah. Um, so, so let's so, so thirty percent of all millennials own digital assets today. Thirty yeah. percent. Yeah, and so so th this is this is kind of where um, I want to uh, uh, take us and kind of bring us in for a landing. Here is the, you know the individuals who who listen to this show are business owners. They have hundreds, thousands of clients in their agencies that they're working with. Um, they're talking to that come to them, not just for uh, advice on their insurance, but oftentimes uh, financial advice or just advice in general around business or, or how to handle uh, different decisions. Um, it's a very personal relationship. And maybe uh, to kind of to kind of take us into the conclusion of our conversation here, um, maybe just a few, and I think we've touched on a lot of these things, but maybe a bullet point or two or three 
that could be talking points for them that uh, guys, once, uh, once uh, Joseph shares with these, I'll make sure the bullet points are, are in the show notes as well. So you can go back and check them out, but a few bullet points that they could use when they're talking to their clients to say, you know, they, they find out that their customers have crypto or are interested in purchasing a house. What are maybe just a few things that they could say or ask um, to, to, to kind of at least, at least, see if this is something that could help their clients. Because I think the idea of not having to liquidate the position is such an incredible value add if you can help them do that. Um, it is worth at least having this in your repertoire so you can bring it up with your clients. So so is there any uh, tools you could give them so they could use in their conversations if they're having them? Yeah, yeah I think I think the first one is, is ask, right? You know, do you own digital assets, right? And not be afraid of what the customer is going to tell you. So I think that that's step one, right? Do you own Bitcoin? Do you own digital assets? Yeah. If you do, great. What's what's your long-term perspective on it? Are you planning on keeping this for the next six months or the next six years? Because if you are thinking about keeping this longer term, then you should be thinking about like, how do you leverage that asset to help you um, improve your financial objectives today, such as, you know, we, we have this crypto mortgage so you can keep your Bitcoin, but we recently announced that we are going to be coming out with a crypto loan product. And the crypto loan product is just absent of a mortgage. It's just someone who wants Bitcoin. They need dollars. So those dollars can go into a trust. They go into an insurance premium, right? They could yeah. go into different things to help them fulfill and start to diversify um, their, their net worth away from just Bitcoin. But then now you do have potentially annuities or insurance or equities yeah. or bonds or, or other things. Um, through that. So that becomes a very, very important thing. But if they start asking the questions or they're not afraid to say, yeah, this is a component, then they can come across and find companies like ours that can help them sort of bridge that gap. And don't be afraid that they only have Bitcoin because there's ways of basically getting dollars because they own Bitcoin through companies like ours that they can now basically um, potentially help them with one of their financial products. Yeah. And where... Um... Uh, let's see. It's it's uh, the name. The company is Milo. It's Milo.io would be the place um, mm -hmm. that people, if they're if they're interested, that's that's where you'd want them to check out. Um, if yep. people if hearing this and they have questions for you, is it okay for them to reach out? And if so, where where absolutely. should they do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They can they can reach out to info at Milo.io. They can reach out uh, to me directly uh, on Twitter. They can reach out to me directly um through milo.io we've got a number of sort of like contact us forms there um you know my team wants to be able to talk to as many people that have questions and, and help educate um so you know utilize us even if you don't have a customer reach out to us so that we can be a resource and then you know maybe you can understand sort of like how are the ways that you can help your your, your customers um so we're you know think of us as a, as a resource yeah i love it man i i appreciate you coming on the show i appreciate you sharing this with us this this is the kind of stuff that uh, I like to put in front of the audience because uh, we are such a service business and such a relationship business. And, you know, having, having, even if we're not, you know, obviously very few insurance agents will be an expert in what you're doing. And that's not the point. The point is to know of the resource, to ask the questions and be able to direct people where necessary. Um, it's incredibly valuable. I love that you're, that you're thinking about this and, and, and creating opportunities for a generation of people who invested in these crypto assets and now giving them ability to turn that into not just not just into digital assets, but into uh, physical assets yeah. as well, which which as you said is is an an incredibly important part of uh, value and wealth creation. So, man, I, I appreciate the time, and I wish you nothing but the best. And uh, thank you so much. 
Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. Thank you, thank you for having me and letting me share uh, how we can help lots of customers. Right, we're we're in a solutions business, so we got to be able to help people. Yes. Drinks and smoke a joint bubbles? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>